2: this is the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. Welcome back, thanks once again for joining us. The third round of pool fixtures in the Champions Cup done and dusted. Another round, I think, which have thrown up some great stuff and possibly some not so great stuff at all. But once again, loads for us to get into. I've got the rugby correspondent for the Times, Alex Lowe, with me. How are you, Alex? Hello, good, thank you. Very good. 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 And Will Kelleher, deputy rugby correspondent for the Times as yes. well.
3: Hello. We're all looking very smart today, aren't we? We are. We're all going to the red carpet later this evening for the Netflix series that's coming out later have in a couple of weeks. Have you two
2: ever been to a red carpet event before?
3: I have. The World Rugby Awards, we've probably both been at different times. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, that's a proper black tie job. I did do a film. went to a
4: film premiere, but I can't now remember what it was. Was it...
3: Building Jerusalem or one of those or... Do
4: you know what? I think it might have been the story of the 95 Springboks. What was that called? Invictus. Invictus. I think I might have gone to that with my wife, and we walked down the red carpet, and like I just looked straight ahead, obviously. Not because I was trying to avoid
3: being... Being papped.
4: Being papped, or it's like... It's Alex
3: Lowe and the Times. Yeah, all
4: these <laughs> radio reporters come and talk to me, but I felt really uncomfortable <laughs> having Shifting to walk this soup. sort of... Walk I mean, the gauntlet. Walk the gauntlet, uh, the media gauntlet, thinking, that's usually me on the other side of it, going... Marcus Smith, can I just have two minutes? Yeah,
3: <laughs>
2: So that's going to be me tonight doing some bits for TalkSport, but over the weekend I was trying to work out what is the dress code for, like what? how well, do, do you to get,
3: uh, Are you going to do the usual sort of Oscars question of what are you wearing? Yeah. Uh, sort of...
2: do I, maybe I could add, if, if I'm really struggling, then I can add that to the, the, the list of the questions. List if it's rugby, questions.
3: it'd be like Gant and Crew and <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
2: I
4: don't think Marcus Smith wears Gant or Crew. No, I reckon no Charles
3: Tirrett, Tyrwh- oh that's the sponsor, <laughs> isn't it? That'd <laughs> be the, the one. one. Yeah. He'll be in
4: whatever his sponsors are, yeah, yeah. Nike and...
2: Yeah, but we are smarter anyway and as I say looking back on on the Champions Cup we'll get into all of that we'll also chat about the Lions this week in the last week Andy Farrell officially unveiled as head coach for the 2025 tour no real surprise there but we'll chat about that and plans for a women's tour for the Lions have emerged as well and this week Steve Borthwick is going to name his England training squad ahead of the Six Nations so what are the big questions he faces that's something we'll discuss as well but let's start off with the Champions Cup. Alex, you were at Bath. Will, you were at Northampton on Friday night. I saw Steve in his Bristol match report had a line in there essentially saying that it's a competition that has good days and bad days. I referenced it in my little intro there as well. This weekend was kind of epitomised by that, wasn't it? I think we've seen some great games every single weekend of the pool fixtures so far, but each weekend we're also still reminded of the issues with this competition. Yeah,
4: definitely. Like Will, you were at Franklin's Gardens, which as well as Northampton played you'd have to categorise as a bad day because Bayon just didn't show up. I was at Bath, uh, who came back from 22-8 down to win on what they describe as their biggest game for nine years, certainly in Europe. And yet, I was sitting just behind Stuart Lancaster, who is a pretty calm, passive bloke anyway, as his team threw away this lead. But then you realise that all they have to do is beat Cardiff next week. They've lost three out of three. They could beat Cardiff at home and still go through to the knockout. And then you're like, well, what does any of it really matter? Mm. And and so even that which was a big day, sell out crowd, great performance from Bath by in the end to, to win it. Alfie Barbary in between two yellows was sensational. So you're like this is you know that's a statement performance. And Racing have lost three out of three, and yet Racing can still get through. And then. That sort of dulls it a bit for me. It takes it some takes of the edge off the occasion.
3: Well, I, already looking ahead to, to this weekend coming and the matches that we might be able to cover, and actually you look at it and you think, Sale-La Rochelle's a really good one because that is kind yeah. of winner-takes-all, but there's quite a lot sort of already sorted or that's not that dramatic about the final day, which is a shame. I just, yeah, that that thing of four teams getting through and you you're you are able to qualify with only one win isn't great we have bagged the Champions Cup a fair bit over the last few years and I think all of it's kind of constructive criticism because there is there is so much in there that's great but it's there's quite a lot that doesn't work still and we know we say that all the time but like my game with Bayon I was with our friend Guillaume who we've mentioned before from L'Equipe gave him a lift up, he did a little French triple header in England, and he covers Bayon for L'Equipe and was saying, that they, they just told, the coach said to guys like Camel Lopez, just stay at home Like they haven't lost at home in the top 14 for two years, but they hardly win away they're sort of the French stereotype writ large Bayon and you just sort of thought, for all the pretty attack that Saints put together for how good Finn Smith was Tommy Freeman was, Tom Pearson was You just thought it was kind of a training run, and you've got 15,000 people there roughly, good atmosphere Saints are three from three, but again, it sort of felt a bit flat, and we're just going through the motions. Really, I
2: suppose what you would say from a Northampton perspective is: it's another game, it's another win, it's another yeah, impression. Perform- row, Re- regardless of the team that they were facing. There are so many names we could go through in that team, and maybe we will mention it when we talk about Steve Borthwick and his England selection later. That are playing yeah, really, really good stuff, c- completely. Yeah. And, it, and it's un—it feels unfair to
4: bag the game because it's not Northampton's fault what could they do but produce the performance they did it's very easy against a team that doesn't matter you can be you know that you can miss chances you know you can be wasteful you know you don't need to be as intense or as accurate to beat a Bayon team that haven't shown up so it says I think it says a lot about Northampton that despite who they were facing their game was was a a plus like the accuracy of the way they picked them apart was ruthless and clinical and Finn Smith as you um, as you say, Alfie, like they got guys who are playing really well. Finn Smith was outstanding. George Furbank, as we I think we've mentioned on on the pod before, because he's this feels like his second breakthrough season yeah. for me. He's taken his his game to another level. He's incredibly physical, but the way that the, the way that he plays that fullback position as a second playmaker in the way that Northampton play just just suits them perfectly, and it suit and they suit him perfectly. Tommy Freeman. You know, it's just loving life at the moment, and and that's before we we get to, to the guys up front and, and and Courtney and everything. So they had they could only do what they could do, and I thought it said a lot about them that they did it so effectively and, and so clinically.
3: You kind of keep forgetting that Finn Smith's twenty one. Yeah, like he's he's so. I think I wrote in my report on Friday night. He's sort of like so clean and tidy with the way that he attacks. And he's brave in defence as well. Phil Dowson afterwards was talking about when he kind of first came onto his radar, um, Northampton played against Worcester in a Prem game, and Tamar Harrison came off the back of a scrum and ran directly at Smith, who would have been 19 or something at that point, and he just chopped him in half, and he thought, wow, this is a brave young 10. And again, I wrote it in the piece on Friday night, but with George Ford having a little injection in his knee recently and maybe touch and go for that Italy game, a Smith at 10 is probably likely but it doesn't necessarily mean it'd be Marcus Like Finn's got a shot there I think and
4: it is interesting how life throws up opportunities sometimes in the darkest moments so it was a wrench for Finn Smith Ollie Lawrence Ted Hill to, to leave Worcester and, and to see Worcester collapse and yet if Worcester had survived those three guys would have been playing Challenge Cup rugby this weekend mm. battling away at the bottom of the premiership the circumstances have thrown thrown them a a curveball in their life and, and actually the way they've they've managed and dealt with it they're playing in teams that are flying and and that are suiting them and that, and they are taking them their own games to another level and I think we see that a lot around the Prem the contraction from 13 teams to 10 and where the talent has, has ended up Tom you know I, I think London Irish this season would have been really strong anyway because
3: yeah you look at who they could have put out had, with another season you had that yeah.
4: young generation all coming together um, and coming through I think they'd have been really strong but a Tom Pearson going to Northampton and being part of that back row with Courtney and 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 Lewis Ludlum when he's fit and it's, it's actually great to see as difficult as it was for them to get there
3: the, exactly. the, the kind of sods law thing with Northampton which I was saying to some of their staff on Friday night is they've done brilliantly and they're three wins from three and all be in that you'd expect them probably to get into that top eight so they'll get a home game but they'll get a series, won't they like you can just see it coming. Someone who finishes in that bottom half who've snuck in, or a Laroche, or a Rassing, or something, which may not be a bad thing. You like might they could beat Raffi- at the moment. Yeah, well, exactly. But that's just the thing, isn't it? You, you finish in that top eight, but you're going to draw someone punchy further down, aren't you? But a home game would be really important because it would bring them what three hundred odd grand, I think. So I think for quite a lot of these English teams, that is the next thing that needs to aim for. But you can see a few of them rotating now because quite a lot of them are. F- are through mm. like I don't know whether Bath will take an amazing team to, to lose, for example but let's see
2: Exeter could be another one as well so Northampton and Exeter are both through in pool 3 Exeter with a 1917 win against Glasgow this game the ending
3: of this game was absolutely bonkers so it wasn't the most high quality match that's ever been played but it was It was fun it was great yeah. and it was like a proper cup tie as we'd say in like football wouldn't we in the FA Cup we'd say oh that's a cup tie Um, which is sort of a a redundant phrase, but we know what it means. But the chaos at the end was just hilarious.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I know many people listening would have seen this already, but Exeter scored a late try and Henry Slade with the clutch conversion to to give them that slender lead late on. And then it ends up clocking the red Exeter put in at the scrum five metres from their own try line. And then under all sorts of pressure, number eight (laughs) picks it up, doesn't connect with it at all, which means that the Glasgow flanker can scoop the ball up and score what they thought was the winning try yeah. it gets reviewed and ultimately they say that the flanker had, he had re-
3: he he released his released, bind too early, released yeah.
2: his bind penalty to Exeter game over but it was just
3: an insane ending it was the least clutch thing you've ever seen like if if Slade's consistent goal kicking at the end of games is winning the matches he must have just been like what the <laughs> on earth is going on here like Ross Vincent at number 8 he's um, a uni boy um, from Joburg originally I think <laughs> he just missed the ball. and But, like, Stu Townsend had been dragged back, so there could have been a f- possible foul play there. So I thought there was more of a
2: penalty there, yeah. possibly, than the binding, but anyway. But,
3: like, I was talking to um, a few of my mates about this uh, on WhatsApp chat and stuff, when we are all watching it at the same time, and it's it's such... Because you can see Glasgow fans going, that's something that's never called at any scrum, mm. where someone releases their bind early. Like, how many people are fully shoulders on for the whole scrum all the time? In every- But uh, my point, I suppose, is, well, if a try's been scored, and a particularly match-winning try, it's got to be given as a foul, hasn't it? Mm. And the reason why he was able to pick up the is because he released his bind too early. So, of course, however, the other thing is, the front rows had collapsed. So if he was fully bound on, is he, like, pushing the bum of the front row further into the ground by putting his shoulder on it? So it's a hard one. But I I know lots of Glasgow fans, and I know Ryan Wilson on the telly was absolutely incandescent about it, but I thought it was actually just quite cut and dry. It just was offside and shouldn't have been a try. What do you think, Alex? Oh, yeah, I,
4: I just think it was a classic... Rugby situation mm. where so much was happening in a grey area that a referee can or can choose to go one way to the go other. one way yeah. or, or the other. I mean, if once the scrum's gone down, the referee can choose to blow either for a penalty or for a reset.
3: Yeah, I suppose he could have given a pen. You know, you? There's, so
4: there's only, it, so much of it is judgment, and that's why that's how rugby is. That's what how rugby referee. That's how rugby referees manage the game is mm. is judgment. And then, you, as you say, where you get to a point where a try scored and suddenly you have to go black and white and it wasn't a black and white decision I think marginally it was probably the right call but if they'd just gone listen it was a it was a total mess on the floor we're going to get we're going to stick with a try I don't think yeah I don't think there would have been an enormous outcry I suppose
3: that a lot of people have said oh why doesn't in that situation the, the benefit of the doubt just go to the attack for a better yeah. game but pff, I don't know
4: I don't know because <laughs> because then, <laughs> then you get that. benefit of the doubt on a forward pass yeah because you, because we all want the try to be scored,
3: and like, let's and extrapolate it to a World Cup final where we have had decisions like that. For example, the the knock on that maybe they shouldn't have gone back so far yeah. to disallow the yeah. All Blacks try. Yeah. You go, okay, so we're giving the benefit of the doubt to the attack in the World Cup final and but changing it, the hands of the trophy. There, there aren't is we?
4: there is a benefit <laughs> of the doubt is about it means you're not sure. Yeah, and rugby's full of decisions where can't be sure. Like I was at Bath and Alfie Barbary. Six minutes in, abs, like thunders into mm. Max Spring, shoulder to the throat. It looked to me like it was a red card. I mean, it, the first thought was, it's one of those where he's, his chin has, has come forward because of the force of the impact. But then when you see it again, like, no, that is that is to the throat. That's yeah. But the ref can't see it properly because the winter sun is shining onto the screen at the rec. I mean, that's budget, isn't it? Yeah. So he's going to the TMO. You have got to help me, and and then you go. Then the ref goes. Oh, there wasn't high degree of danger. I mean, it's all they're all looking for
2: mitigation. And mm. is there a something in that as well that it feels like the officials are trying to find mitigation more now than compared with say the World Cup?
4: Definitely for disciplinary things. Like, yeah. They're trying to find a reason not to issue a red card. And I, and I I get that. That's what the players are and the coaches are desperate for. I get that. But what I mean is, is it's all these are all like minute judgement calls mm, mm. all the way through it just so happens that you have one of these situations that that decides a game i think it was probably probably was just about the right call yeah but it feels such a minor thing to settle a game on
2: Tom May said something on TNT after the Exeter game where he said by nicking wins like this at a young age you learn what it takes to win big games which I thought from an Exeter point of view is another quite a, a good thing to focus on after a game like this of what that young team will learn from it and actually I think maybe similar for the game you were at Alex in terms of Bath it is a Another game this season They've had a few in the premiership They've had some in Others in Champions Cup as well Where Bath are winning games That you feel Previous iterations of Bath Would have lost That Bath team That had a soft underbelly Doesn't have that so much Definitely
4: And we talked about I asked Johan van Graal afterwards About characters Alfie Barbary, there's a great picture that David Davis from the Press Association took of Joe Singer being tackled into touch. He's, like, folded up in three different directions. It's a, great, it's a great image. And while that incident was being reviewed, whether it was a try or not, which it wasn't, Alfie Barbary is giving the old, you know, like, revving up the wreck, going, like, we, we've got to come back here, 14 points down. And it was the, just the force of personality from him and from others, like Finn Russell, like Ollie Lawrence... Like Josh Bayless made an impact when he came on, just driving them forward, they hit, they hit Racing with two tries in three minutes, and then had to defend on their own line right at the end, and they stuck it out. It's that classic thing of how do you define confidence? What does it look like? Well, it looks like a team that, that believes that they can win from 14 points down.
3: Yeah, and actually, maybe particularly Barbary, they're the sort of player that if you're a fan of the team they're in, you just absolutely love them, they're, yeah. they're, they're, you're yeah. bringing them with you, and there's, I don't know, England know that they need to have a bit more of that don't they, in the yeah. six, like so, Jamie like, George was talking about that last week, completely. bringing fans with us and they're completely. exactly the sort of players that Twickenham will go God, I just love coming to watch him
4: Barbary got sent off and he got standing ovation <laughs> yeah. which is yeah. like, very you know, the game is on the line now, the red card was one of those that it was a second yellow for leading with his elbow into into contact it's a rugby incident it's unfortunate you know so he he it was the second one of the game he could easily be sent off for the first one but the very but everything he'd done in between was so good that as as he walks off with his sort of tousled hair in his hands um the wreck rise to thank him. It was it was a great moment actually.
2: The one other game in Pool Three, I just want to give a mention to, but we do need to move on. Munster winning away to too long. Great yeah. victory that for Munster. Mm. I thought their draw against Bayonne on the opening weekend might come back to bite yeah. them, but that's a heck of a performance. And talking of sides that have a kind of steeliness, if you want to mm. look back at Munster and their route to the U- winning the URC as well, they they just yeah. they're able to get it done in pretty tough circumstances. And lots of it was
3: clever. Kicking like good kicking, good attacking kicking. Simon Zebo playing yeah, very well as yeah, well. Yeah, chipping over the top for Zebo to score another one on the right wing. like Yeah, that was a marquee result. And they got
4: injury problems too. I mean, they, I don't think they're at full strength. I and mean, Graham Roundtree, you know, sort of unheralded, but he's doing doing good things there. When, uh, when we came home from the World Cup, we got one of those classic emails from betting companies that said, "Here are the odds for the Lions head coach." And Andy Farrell was like miles ahead of everyone else, obviously. Then it was Gregor Townsend. Then it was Steve Borthwick. Uh, And then it was Graham Rountree. Fourth Mm. favourite to be Lions. No, he was never going to get the job, but, and we'll probably come on to this, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a role for someone like him in the coaching team.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I was going to, just just going back to, but which is a sort of wider point, but on Bath and Exeter, I think, and then you see the opposite of it with Gloucester and Newcastle, I think, and it's it's a phrase we... Everyone takes a sip of their drink every time you mention momentum in the Six Nations, don't they? But it's just one of those, when you're in that groove of knowing how to win, you just sort of get it done without almost... You are, you are trying, but things just come for you, fall for you, don't they? And then the opposite is the same. Like at the week before this one, I was watching Gloucester. They should have got something out of that game against Bath, but just didn't, a rubbishy pass at the wrong time. Mm. And Skivington was talking about that afterwards, just kind of going like, when you're in one of these ruts, that stuff just doesn't go for you. Where it does, if you're in the other Completely. side. Of it. I
4: remember I, I would, when Ben Kay was a columnist of ours, and, and I would write help him write his column, and he would talk a lot about confidence and momentum. And I'm like, but we need to. What do you mean by that? When you're when you're out on the field and you're not confident, what does that look like? Mm. And he's like, it's it's all the it's the tiny delays and everything. It's Let's say the lineup's not going very well. The, the timing's off because the hooker's slightly reticent because he's not, he hasn't, hit, maybe hasn't hit his jumper a couple of times, and the jumpers aren't, and the lifters aren't quite certain that they're all in sync because it hasn't worked. So everyone delays it slightly, and then, and then, and then it doesn't. Yeah, you know, the, the the ball doesn't meet the meet the jumper, or, or the in that gloss situation that you know that it hasn't been working. So you're trying to make it work, and then you force it just a little bit too much. At that level, it's the most minute things. But the flip side, let's say Bath, two or three times in a game that's tight that they're chasing Ollie Lawrence is, is carrying it one-handed and offloading out the back of his like Fijian style. Now, if, now no Gloucester player can risk doing that because mm. they're losing. And if you do that and it slips, then it just compounds the situation. But yeah. if, you're, if you're winning and you're playing in a team that's, that's flowing, then you don't think about it, you just do it. And that—that that is the—that's the, the minute difference.
2: Because the skill level is the same. Well, let's talk about a team where things all of a sudden seem to not particularly be <sighs> yeah. going oh, their way. Let's well he- done, Alfie. Head Good segue. <laughs> to- <laughs> Got to earn my money somehow. <laughs> uh, so getting into pool one then Leon and Bordeaux are both through Uh, the Bulls aren't definitely through but after beating Bristol away from home um, they look in a pretty good position to go through Bordeaux 55 Saracens 15 Saracens is heaviest ever European defeat a side that aren't in great form generally if you look at the Premiership at the moment as well Lawrence Delaglio on the TV speaking after this one I saw he he said this is the story of the weekend which I know not in terms of necessarily the game, but you can see what he's getting at in terms of yeah, the scoreline of this
3: for Saracens. Yeah, it's just one of those that doesn't happen, does it? Like, Saracens don't get a smack for 50. And I, I remember one time they did was... Um, I, you might Clermont. have been there too. Yeah, that yeah. Clermont, um, on rearranged game on the... So if people remember a few years back, it was a snowy weekend and the Sarries game got moved to the Monday and played behind closed doors before we knew what that meant in COVID. Yeah. Um, and... Alavretti Raka scored a hat-trick and was absolutely absurd. And actually, that was a point where Saris, I think, had lost seven matches in a row then. Yeah. And everyone would have heard him who listened last week, but Jamie George was the guy who we all spoke to, who's he's often in that role. Poor him when either uh, Saris or England have lost over the years. He's the dollop of honesty. But he was very good that night and saying, like, we need to just really reset and change some stuff. And they ended up having a, yet another really good season. But that hasn't happened to Saris for a long time. Like, the way they obviously got relegated we know about, was salary cap related and all that, but since then they've kind of been on this sort of rebirth. But it really seems like a a different season this year for Saris.
4: So five defeats and seven now. And in the middle of it, you've got Owen Farrell...
3: That's got to be a big part um, of it, surely, subconsciously. Certainly
4: coming out publicly, how long they've known within the club, I'm not sure, but it's now public knowledge that he's looking to, to leave and Stuart Lancaster's confirming that talks have happened and what Lancaster was implying was that he wants him and so long as a deal can be done between Jackie Lorenzetti and Saracen for to buy Farrell out of the last year of his contract...
3: About half a million quid. ...then
4: it will be done. So that's come up in the middle of, of all of this. and And then you've got Mark McCall saying that this group who came through together, this adventure that we've been on, coming to an end and we need to start a new adventure and it just at the moment and Saracens that have enough quality in four months five months time to go and win something but at the moment it feels different to that year when they went seven when they lost seven in a row because because it feels like the end of something. that yeah. felt They were very much in the middle and it was just a blip. This feels like the end of something. You've got Mako's retired from England this week, last week, and you think that's probably foreshadowing a, a move somewhere else.
3: Billy's maybe similar. Billy's similar. <laughs> Depending on what happens on Wednesday.
4: Owen, we now know, is looking to leave. Will this unravel quickly and will they win nothing? Or... Will they use, as Jamie George talked about really well on the pod, will they? Will they use the seven weeks off to mm. regroup and and come again? Because they can't, they're going to get through. The season isn't going to be isn't going to be over by the time we hit the Six Nations. But they'll still have enough opportunity to do something. But that's the time. Like, will they? Will they regroup, or are they already thinking? This is the end. We're at the end of our I adventure.
3: I think the, the best thing that can happen to Saracens is that the own Farrell thing is sorted in the next three or four weeks. Yeah. Because, as Jamie Jaws said at last week, the break's coming at a brilliant time for them, really, yeah. whereas it's not coming at a good time for Northampton, who just keep winning and winning and winning and would hate stopping. Because whether they are actually thinking about this on the field or not, there's got to be something subconscious that of uncertainty around... Farrell's situation that bleeds down through everything else and that's not questioning his commitment which should never be questioned or his leadership or anything but the whole Sarries thing for a decade has been built on brotherhood, wolf pack, togetherness and like fighting as a group of mates and when the figurehead of that is looking at going somewhere else it's so natural for everyone else to go All oh, right, okay, so not quite the wolf pack anymore
4: Yeah, so it's not... It's not, not that, it's not him. it's not that they're not committed as much as they have mm. been. It's a mindset thing, and yeah. there's clearly a change in mindset at the club because it, Mark McCall is the one saying we're coming to the end of our adventure we need to start a new a, a new one and i e the sun is setting on everything that, on on this project, and we, now we need to start a new one and, yeah. and but what I, but I wouldn't want to write them off no too soon because especially if Farrell gets it all sorted, and I think that would help because it it just clarifies everything.
3: And then they and, can go into the end of the season going, let's and, do this to and Owen, Exactly, and, all that. And,
4: then, and then they go, seven weeks off, regroup, come back, short project, mm. let's go and smash this for two months. Let's end, end it on two end cups. End this adventure on, with, with glory. And, yeah. and that is exactly what Saracens do. That is, They are so good at, at framing situations in, in a way to get the best out of themselves. And It feels like there's a lot of distractions, a lot of people are looking elsewhere because... Not because they don't—they're not committed to winning on Saturday, but they're planning next season. They're looking at options. Yeah. There's just a there's there's there are distractions floating around. It wouldn't surprise me if they if they re, if they come back and regroup and and really have a go post Six Nations. But it is this last five defeats out of seven. I guess if if Martin McCall's saying it's 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 all starting to come to an end that there's the evidence
2: and naturally I suppose we focus on the Saracen side of things Bordeaux look really good and really good at home in particular they did the same to Bristol you look at that back line how dangerous they can be and you talk, look ahead to the knockout stages anyone that has to go through Bordeaux are going to have to have one heck of a performance so I was to thinking
3: them. about this on the train up and it, it, I, I feel like it was, it was a flex weekend for the, the big dogs mm. like La Rochelle going oh you think you're going to knock us out do you yeah. bang 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 <laughs> Leinster, like Stade francais didn't take their best team, but they properly tore them apart. It was Doris on fire and Jordan Lama stepping through everyone. Bordeaux are not one of those traditional powerhouses of European rugby, but they're it's their team now. You've got, like, Luka, who's going to play nine, probably, for France instead of Dupont. You've yeah. got Bear, then you've got Penno and Biel Barry on the wings, and, and you're just like, wow. It's
4: five France internationals in the battle. Yeah.
3: All of those three really laid down a marker of, like, we may not have played the full hand yet but we are not going to go down without a fight
2: to lose with the away win against Ulster as well is a decent result let's finish off our Champions Cup chat just with pool four the pool of death which is kind of proving to be that really Leinster the only ones to have guaranteed their place in the last 16 so far Sale with a battling performance but defeat away to the Stormers I think any teams that have to go to South Africa in the latter stages of the competition similar to what I just said with Bordeaux but are going to have their work cut out um so it kind of comes down Sale-La Rochelle this coming weekend. Heck of a final fixture, isn't it? In a in a round where, as you mentioned earlier, Will, there are probably going to be quite a few dead rubbers, or even yeah. you look at Leon, for example, might rotate heavily for the game against Saracens. That Sale-La Rochelle game is going to be fascinating.
3: Awesome, yeah. And you actually... Yeah, you you can't imagine Stad Rochelle, as they're written down, um, missing out on the last 16 at all, can you? And it'd be an incredible victory of Sale were to beat them and knock them out and actually you you then think about it and you go I know Sale got to the final of the Prem and we talk about them a lot because they're a really interesting good club to talk to um, but would it be the worst thing if they dropped into the Challenge Cup had a chance to win that competition win a trophy which they've not done since 2006 it's like Quinns in the years gone by and other teams like that where you think actually they're not probably at the level where they're going to win the Champions Cup so why not drop into the Challenge and have a go at that and that'd be a massive piece of silverware, awesome, yeah. yeah. And they and they'd have some great fixtures. They'd play some teams that they could beat, and they could go all the way and win it. And that'd be that'd be brilliant. And the next sort of growth step for them as a club, they might surprise us and get through, which would be incredible. The other one that's interesting in that in that pool coming up this weekend is Leicester against Leinster. And I, usually, you'd say, well, Leinster will will probably beat them fairly comfortably, and that has happened in the last couple of seasons, hasn't it, when they've played each other? But a Leinster, now they're through thinking of rotating a bit, but do they need to because they, they want a home, a home draw to yeah, be Dublin exactly. all the way, as ever? But <laughs> And also, they just don't have the workload as other teams do. Like, the premiership teams played, what, 17 games in a row from the start of the season, and the URC guys have just not done that. So you would expect Leinster to probably bring a decent team, and then that means... Leicester, who just got blasted by La Rochelle, have got a tough game, haven't they? And you'd expect the Stormers probably to go through as well. But who do you think goes through then? That pool, Pool uh, Four. I, th- I mean, so Leinster, top. as it is, I think is about right. To be honest, if it went to form, you'd expect Leinster to win, become one of the top seeds, going through. Stormers to beat Stade say away, probably, uh, depending on what team they bring, and then Leicester to be defeated, but possibly go through because they have got a more points to Sale and um, La Rochelle to beat Sale and everyone kind of stays roughly where they are That, could, well I'll tell you what there you go there's another so I said earlier Northampton could finish high season draw Saris but what about finishing high season and drawing Leicester so here's a hot take for you quickly before we finish it off so um, I think it was rugby inside line we're going through this on Twitter and looking at the percentages wins of each of the leagues and the premiership is top they've got the best record across their set of sides Mm. and the top 14 have got the worst but I would still say that a top 14 will win it whether that's Bordeaux La Rochelle Toulouse Like someone's going to have to go unbelievably deep in the well to beat one of those and they'll have to do at least one of them away so I think a top 14 to win it again
2: it's going to be good whatever the qualification permutations then after next weekend's round of fixtures we'll cover next Monday on the pod for now we'll leave it there next up though we're going to discuss the British and Irish Lions
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen
4: VoiceOver on settings
0: so you can navigate it just by listening
4: books, contacts Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna, from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility, there's more to iPhone.
5: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: So I quite like having a bit of Lions chat, even though we've got 18 months until the tour already. Andy Farrell confirmed, unveiled as the head coach last week. Big shock, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. (laughs) I mean, unanimously... The correct decision across fans, pundits, ex players, current players, media. It took
4: them it took the recruitment panel six months to make the decision. (laughs) Which we could only assume was a lot of lunches (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of working out. Do we do Andy Farrell or Andy Farrell? Yeah. Let's just order another bottle of red and work it out. It was I mean f- there was no one else it could it could have been.
2: Is the is the one thing with this tour and I know we all look forward to Lions tours. But wait, you look at where the Wallabies are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Is there any concern Massive, about yeah. how good a
3: tour it could be? No coach, no backroom team. Like you've got coaches and journalists in Australia seeing the All Blacks meeting up for their first sort of Bronco test and all that for the year and Australia don't have a plan. They've got no no one to lead anything. They've got like Hamish McLennan left the chairman Eddie Jones obviously is now in Japan. They're complete shambles, aren't they? And it doesn't seem like there's a white smoke that's imminent about who's going to be their coach. Like cheekily, when we spoke to Andy Farrell last week, and someone mentioned Joe Schmidt's name, he was like, "Oh, he wouldn't even tell me if he's been approached," um, which sounds very, very like Joe Schmidt. But that would be a proper appointment if they got him. Yeah, as we floated on our our Christmas pod, that would be quite a fun dream team if it was Mike Catt and
4: Schmidt against Farrell's Lions. Andy Farrell had to talk up the Wallabies because, as the chief exec keeps reminding us, this is a joint venture. They're in business together to make this tour work. Andy Farrell was sort of on a bound to say they'll get it right. This means so much to them. Whoever gets the job and I'm seeing, you know, Joe Schmidt's been linked and Michael Checker's Checker, return. Yeah. They will make a big difference. If, if they get a coach of that calibre, That very different characters those two, by the way, but could both make a, a big difference pretty quickly if they, get, if, if they get everything right, if they get a structure right and they don't annoy as many people as Eddie Jones managed to in, in about three months. So they will be better. But it's always the biggest issue for the Lions... Of, of the three regular touring venues, t- to get competitive uh, tour matches in advance of the Test Series. Yeah, the
2: warm-up games are normally pretty one-sided. Yeah,
4: they? now they confirm that the the contract says the Wallabies have to be available to play for their Super Rugby team in for the tour matches, which is really important. Because we're not so sure about how strong the Wallabies are, if the Lions go through and they put 100 points on Western Force, like they have done in the past, and 100 points because they're playing local amateur players, effectively. Then you get no sense of momentum. You get no excitement building up. You, 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 what you want are games like, the, like when they lost to the Brumbies in 01. That's what you want. You know, it, the Lions losing a, a tour match is actually it's a good thing because it helps the team, but it also makes you realise that they're in for a battle here. And the the, the problem with an Australia tour is that you're never sure how much of a battle they're going to get. And when they won in in 13... The Wallabies weren't great in twenty thirteen. But the Lions have this challenge of trying to having to come together and make it work and they beat the they beat that Australia team two one. But if they've given them two extra weeks of prep, they'd have beaten them three 0
3: But it's it's always the thing, like the Lions has to survive on the fact that it's really hard for the Lions to win. But like, if it becomes too easy for the Lions to win, then the whole concept's gone. Because and it's we'll get onto it I think, but it's that's the conversation maybe with the women's lions, which yeah. is coming, which has lots of different issues with it, but the whole sort of daring do of the Lions mm. is we're travelling to foreign lands, we're only together, we're like a Barbar's team, we've only been put together on last Tuesday, and now we're trying to beat some of the best teams in the world, and we might be able to do it. Whereas if it's like we're just going to clean through all the super rugby teams and Anzac 15, and then the three tests against the Wallabies aren't that competitive, because it's basically like the Ireland team would tear them apart, so the Ireland team with like three extra really good players would tear them apart even more. the the whole thing kind of falls down so we said it on our Christmas pod again one of the great hopes of this year is that the Wallabies get their act together because no one wants that series to be one sided Mm. and a clean sweep for the Lions because it would just be quite boring
2: and I think it is a fear of the fans at the moment as well I saw there was a live poll on the article you guys and all our other rugby writers did about picking your Lions team. If the mm-hmm. test match was a Saturday, just gone, but there was a live poll on there on who will win the series, and it was ninety six percent. Wow, for the line, it's
4: not stopping people going. By the way, is it not? No, they, it, but that's like, Australia's great are, place to go yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think partly because South Africa didn't happen. Yeah, for fans, but they, yeah, I mean, there won't be a. There won't be a room a hotel room available in any city. There are there will be tens of thousands of Lions fans there.
3: Sea of Red, make sure you capitalise the S and the R on that as well.
4: Yeah, what what's that about?
3: <laughs> Where did that come did Sea of Red come like get created in about two thousand and one? I think, uh, yeah, as a, as a sort of concept. yeah, Driscoll one. But now yeah. it's
4: almost a trademark. They capitalised it in their press release. i like the red, lines to brand everything S, and make o, it corporate. That's, oh. su-
2: that's such a thing for you two as the newspaper <laughs> journalist to notice. That would have passed me by in time. So like,
4: you're writing the, you're just, quick piece quick news piece to confirm it you have, have to use the quotes that are provided in the press release you have to change it there's no way <laughs> so that we read. can write a piece that has C of red capital S capital it's like red, red, this is so <laughs>
3: navel gazing but like when clubs capitalise their word club, club or and like team. head coach H capitalized, capitalise you're like come on it's not that important it's not it's not a proper noun leave it alone that's such a journalist <laughs> I was going to say that is such a thing I wouldn't even
2: consider uh, really quickly I mentioned that Article which I wanted to mention here of the rugby writers uh, picking the British and Irish yeah. Lions team to play Australia if it was the Saturday so, just
3: gone.
4: I had a quick glance through the comments underneath, and there are a lot of really annoyed people that we'd done it,
3: that we'd even that done, we'd it. even done it. Yeah, oh, it's, okay. only, it's
2: one of the best things to do.
3: It's the just Lions. a
4: bit of fun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> have you put you instead of going, why have you bothered doing this? Tell us what your team is. Yeah. I'd much rather read what your ideas are than just pe- people go, oh, there's... don't you know the championship's in crisis? Why are you wasting time
3: uh, yeah, a picking an
4: Lions team? Yeah. Well, because it's just a bit of fun. I
3: just really like, it's it's just a, a I've of just of got a vision in my mind of like, us three not being in the roles we are, but going to the pub. And it. like, oh, go on then, like, let's pick the line What would be your lines, team? i like, no, 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 I'm only going to pick it in 2025. Do no, it can't do it, the... no. Yeah. all right I'll go home then we've got
4: Fine. two six nations between them <laughs> and you guys will <laughs> know this is,
2: but I've done it c- working for TalkSport you've had the radio rights the last few series and outside of the three test matches the squad selection is the next biggest thing it's yeah. like, and it's what so, and I love the discussion around and I know we always do it early but that's always the way, isn't it? It's just a bit of fun. The interesting thing and not surprising thing from pretty much all of you is how much your island is going to end up
3: dominating the Irish the, and British lions. Well, exactly. If it was happening
2: now, if it was happening now, yeah, yeah. I
4: mean, it was a, it was an awkward um, project in a way because like I picked a team and then Matt Hanson got injured, mm, me too, and then yeah. James Lowe came back, so then he came back into my team. Um, Joe Marler wasn't available, it was, it was slightly. Confected like that but i would i think the balance might shift by the time we get to often Australia. does isn't it it's a long I, time i think if you look at you know if george martin was on my bench mm-hmm. but if you were to project 17 months down the line you could see him starting a test yeah. for, a test for the Lions. yeah absolutely yeah.
3: and like welsh guys could come through like jack morgan's another one on the injury list who you'd probably have in the definitely yeah, in the squad if you're picking it he Could right he now. easily
4: start in that back row jack, jack morgan and yet at the moment he's injured so we couldn't pick him in that that team
2: so go to uh, the Times online to look through Alex Wills, uh, Stephen Jones, Stuart Brands, Mark Palmer. John yeah. Lo- 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 <laughs> loads of teams for, for their Lions is a bit of a laugh. You can get that on the Times online. Final thing to mention for the British and Irish Lions is the suggestion of a women's tour. This is another story last week. So they're expected to have a tour in 2027. And from what I can tell, it is met by a complete mix of... Brilliant, exciting, what a wonderful thing And then a lot of other people saying is this vi- Does this work for where the women's game is at the moment? Yeah. So
3: we're waiting for confirmation of it But Alex and I teamed up and wrote this news story last week That the expectation is that the tour's going to be in 2027 So two years after the, the next Women's World Cup in England um, It's going to be in or against New Zealand in some form We're not quite sure about the makeup of the tour matches yet But it will feature a three-match test series against the Black Ferns who are the world champs, Yet, yeah. Well, they might not be by that point, but they not are truly, at the moment. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because there are people that cover the women's game far more extensively than us that are very sceptical about it and yeah. think, why should the women just ape the men? Um, I think
4: that's such an important... So Alison Donnelly is a, is a really good example. Mm. She, she founded Scrum Queens. She's very influential in the sports industry and very knowledgeable, incredibly knowledgeable about women's rugby in particular more than pretty much anyone else and her take is if the Lions didn't exist for the men you wouldn't create it for the women because the reason it works for the men not only because it's been going for hundreds hundred years but because it's four equal nations of equal quality not at any one time but you know there's always a team that's that's better but it's it's equal and the the women's setup at the moment there's such a huge disparity between England and 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 the rest of the, of the home nations and so it, so the question is like what what does true equality look like is it we'll just have a women, we've got a men's team so we need to have a women's team because it because then it's f- equal
3: and it will make money
4: or is it well, what's best for the women's like I, I happen to believe that when they rebranded premier 15s to premiership women's rugby i don't think that helps trying to kind of make it link it's it too closely event, to yeah. premiership men's rugby i like how the super women's super league in football has its own identity. The club's might be largely the same, but it has an identity that stands on its own and, and then it can be marketed on its own. Now, one of the reasons why I might support the Lions is a caveats. If a women's lions is a mechanism to generate new revenue that can be invested directly into the women's programmes in Wales, Ireland and Scotland, then you go, Okay, well if, if that's if we're creating some new money that can help build Fully professional uh, programs in in those countries to help close the gap to help make the six nations more competitive then all right I think I, I think that's really that's a really positive way of of approaching it if that's what's going to happen, but we'll, we won't see them till later this week. And that's one of the questions I will be asking of the Lions, because otherwise, if it's just to ape the men, like I think we've we said before, the women's Six Nations is is just designed to copy the men's Six Nations, whereas actually there's a better structure for the women to to make it more competitive and more more compelling.
2: Well, that's a fascinating conversation. We'll leave our Lions chat there for the time being. Coming up next, though, we'll stick with international rugby. Steve Borthwick will name his Six Nations training squad this coming Wednesday. So we're going to look ahead to that next. So England Six Nations squad named on Wednesday. What are the big questions do you think facing Steve Borthwick? heading captain. into this just about everything
3: <laughs> captain the entire starting 15 uh, anyone who can play prop both sides of the scrum yeah. um a whole new back three back row 10 12 13
2: <laughs> He's a lot there's, there's a, a lot weirdly there's a few there's quite a
3: few questions yeah
2: fascinating it's going to be a fascinating squad then so where should we start do you want to start with should we start at the front row and props because like is a massive issue here isn't it
3: yeah huge issue and as alex teed up earlier in the pod the latest on Mako Vinopola has changed the dynamic a bit because he's now re- retired chosen that he won't continue so the situation as we've got it is that Ellis Genge would probably be fit for either the first or the second one but he's had a hamstring I problem. think
4: Mako probably jumped before he was pushed yeah. by the way <laughs> like, <laughs> Borthwick's been having meetings with all the prospective players and five days before the squad's announced Mako decides to, to call it a day I, it doesn't surprise me at all because I, I can really see Borthwick trying to use this Six Nations to to move the team On But it does leave While Ellis Genge and Joe Mahler are fighting for Fitness it leaves a, a huge Gap in experience at losing yeah. in particular
3: So, so Mahler's the next one who, Who's who got an arm injury and it's one of those That Quinns have said is kind of a day by day And then they haven't put a time frame on it Which is one of those you probably worry about a bit if, if there isn't a time frame on it um, So that's a kind of TBC of, As to how fit he is Val Rapava Ruskin who's been in squads before he's injured he won't be involved Bevan Rod who was third choice at the World Cup he's out for the whole Six Nations having had foot surgery you would probably say that the trio at Loosehead is Genge depending on how fit he is Benno Urbano probably
4: He played really well playing well yeah yeah who
3: has been who is playing very well but as I think David Flatman was highlighting on the telly, may need to start scrummaging a bit straighter. A bit straighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, he <laughs> got away with it, though. He did, he did, yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he's been pushing his hips out a bit and boring in quite significantly. Keep boring in
4: if you if you win the penalty. Yeah, yes.
3: yeah. And then the other one, possibly, would be Quinn's Finn Baxter. Yeah who's a bit of a coming man. Marla really rates him highly, has been his kind of mentor. I think he's quite a different character to Marla. Um, he's, he's, I don't quite know where he went to school, but he's, he's a very Quinn's born and bred, Cobham boy, lovely lad. So I remember when he got man of the match once against Rassing a season or so ago. First did, start. First start. Yeah. Did an interview on the telly with Sonia McLaughlin. And he just came across as the most like yeah, yeah. lovely boy you've ever seen. So he po- possibly doesn't quite have the... The character trace of Marla.
4: The, yeah, there's a gap in age and experience, but which England's going to have to wait to be bridged. But there's a Finn sir, there's Tarek Haffar from Northampton. Mm.
3: But he has hardly played. He's hardly played for Saints. Oh
4: yeah, I'm not saying he'll he'll be picked for the Six Nations, but like there's a there's a group that they're excited about England, but like, they're all 21, 22, with very little rugby in in them. There's the Asher Apoku situation where Sale pick him at tight head. England see him at loose head but I think he's going to be with your 20s this year as a loose head there's a so there's a slight generation gap that England have got to bridge at the moment which which is one of the reasons why Joe Marler is so important to them
2: one of the interesting things I, I when I look at whatever the squad Bothwick is going to select is how much does he pick on form so that's always part of the conversation hasn't it how much do you pick on form in the Premiership or are you looking for something else about players that have what it takes to play international rugby. And I feel like there's a lot of guys at the moment, we've already mentioned loads of them that are playing at Northampton. Bath as well, I think, have quite a few of them. of How How much does that club form go into his thinking?
4: I don't know. And I think that's one of that's one of the things that we're yet to really learn about Steve Borthwick because what he did last year was really just use the Six Nations to understand how to, what he's got. And then the World Cup was a six-month project. You said to start the front row, we would all probably named Jamie George as the captain, but there's some concerns about his neck. So if you don't have him, Luke how Dicky is still not fully fit. No. So then you're looking at Jack Walker, like three caps, something. Curtis Langdon, possibly. C- Curtis Langdon, one cap from that summer.
3: Yeah. yeah. Jamie Blamires always been in the around You know, you, you
4: suddenly got hardly any experience at hooker. Theo so, Dan, obviously. As well. th- uh, Theo Dan. But then you go back to the Northampton guys that we spoke about. On form, it would feel impossible to not pick... George Furbank Tommy Freeman in that squad but how does Tommy Free- how do- Tommy Freeman I think could fit in on the wing he was brilliant in Australia 22 but where does George Furbank fit into what Steve Borthwick wants mm. for England and that's why I say we don't know because if he and Richard Wigglesworth are just going to play their style the way that England played at the World Cup pragmatic defence first kick chase rugby then you don't pick George Furbank you just don't pick him in the mm. back three but, but if, you, if you want to play, if you if England are going to be influenced by the way that the teams who are currently winning are playing, then, then you have to pick on form. And then you're looking at players like Furbank and Lawrence as an outside centre, not an inside centre. Those kind of things. But he hasn't got that luxury in some, in some positions because he hasn't got a 12. He hasn't got a 12. So Lawrence is going to have to play 12 because I don't know who else does. Yeah. Yeah. He may be Fraser Dingwall, but he's not. He's just not quite he's sure. Not he's
3: not got the ballast for Tess rugby, possibly. Which and and, he, unfair, and he, he
4: largely plays thirteen. Yeah. Two. So I mean, this is this conversation is slightly going all over the place, Alfie. But there are holes. that's
2: Kind of the, the, a reflection of there where are, the discussion. There are, are holes. Are,
4: so like if you pick on form, Will Evans would get in the squad because he is a machine on the floor. But I don't think I don't think he'll be picked by Steve Borthwick.
3: But like thinking of that back row, for example, so you got no Courtney and no Tom Curry because. Courtney's retired, and Tom Curry's out for the whole season. So, but you could have like any back row. I was th- was watching Bath on the weekend and thinking, could you have a back row of Ethan Roots at six, barbary at eight, and Ben Earl at seven? And you think, what a- mm. that- if you were to say that that was the back row like three months ago? It's uh, absolutely crazy, but it could be that. It could be George Martin or a Chesham or an Atoghi at six with the other two at lock. Could be Pearson could get a shout. I mean, Tom Willis is injured at the moment. Don't know quite what they'll do with Billy Vanapola. I would be surprised if Don Brandt got back in, but he's been in pretty good form in the Quinn's way. So there's, there's all sorts of really interesting but that, stuff But I think that's,
4: that's ultimately the, the answer to Alfie's question. You say he's playing well in the Quinn's way. We don't know what the England way is going to be. Yeah. How much will Felix Jones' influence change what they want to do? How much will the fact that they, they're out of the Through the World Cup project have they have they sat down and redrawn the way that they want to play? They looked at who's available and worked out a new way that they want to play. Because the thing with England is always... It's, it's always been like the coach... This is how the coach wants to play and then he'll bring the players in to fit that. Scotland, for example, have to play the way that their players Suit, play. Yeah. Because if you have you know, a Blair Kinghorn now, a Stuart Hogg previously, and a Finn Russell at 10, you've got to play in a certain way. And so you build your game around it. England has always has always... It's always been easier for a coach to do the opposite and try and f- fit players in or find players that fit what he wants to do. Like, you know, Sam Underhill's not really playing at the moment, but mm. when he played in the third place game, he was outstanding. We could go through so many names of players who have been brilliant this season for their clubs, but we don't. I don't know how they will fit into the England vision because we don't know what it is. Does that make sense? It's like totally, yeah. Yeah. something that Steve Borthwick talked a lot about. He talked about I want the players to be themselves to play. To train and play with England how they play with their clubs. But that's not actually the reality. Well they
3: fundamentally didn't do that. That's not the a reality. Cup, but that was a different context. But then I he suppose, said that yeah. that's what he wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if
4: if that's what he still wants, then the England team could look really different. And and maybe they'll run it from places they don't they don't currently run it from. And maybe they'll explore selections that they wouldn't have explored before. It's the, exciting though. Yeah, it is. is it?
3: Like, Wednesday should be like, well,
4: really interesting.
3: We can't, I mean often is, is the way with these squads. They're quite fun to look at because it just opens avenues for new stories for us to write about and new people to get excited about. Like we did a, on the basis of Steve Borswick name-checking him the, a couple of weeks ago. We did an interview on Saturday with Ethan Roots. He's got an incredible story and maybe he's someone I might not have gone and met if Borswick hadn't mentioned him. So that's that's good. We, the Rugby needs a bit of that, of new characters and new people to talk about.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think Bath could have 10 players in that squad, potentially. And Alfie Barbary is one who... Yeah, could make a big difference for England. He, he's been in and around it, but he's always been injured. He's always had injury. He's been he's played more minutes this season and more consistently than, than ever. And against big name opponents, he's making a mark. Johan van Ground said that when he signed him, he challenged him to become the best ball carrier in Europe. And he says he's not there yet. And clearly, he's not there yet. But as I as we talked about earlier, the force of carry and the force of personality. There are there are new and exciting options there for England. How it all meshes together and how Boreford builds the jigsaw is a thing that we, we just
3: don't, don't know yet also, I know like, the quick element of it all is is he trying to beat people to players so Manny Faye will boast as one of them would he just give him a cap get him in so that he locks him in for England mm. Tom Roebuck's another one qualifies for Scotland we spoke to him on the pod a couple of weeks ago didn't we he's got a choice to make I think he probably will lose whether he was looking at it or not Aaron Reid it seems like he's going to go to Scotland so there's, there's always those elements in there too of do you try and get someone first And there's,
4: there's an England A game against Portugal A, I think they're going to, yeah. effectively Portugal A, it's not going to be the World Cup squad. That's an interesting one because the coaching team for that includes Sam Vesti, who's the mastermind of the way Northampton play. It couldn't be more different yeah. in outlook to Richard Wigglesworth and Steve Borthwick. That's Stuart Barnes
3: writing the other day, yeah.
4: So, what's the intent here with the England A team if, the, if what the coaches are, if their vision, you know, Finn Smith is playing like he's playing because of Sam Vesti and Furbank is playing like he's playing because of Sam Vesti. and so will they just end up playing in the A team? And the A team could be a like a, a great, a great Buy place to be. To the A team, that's what we're well, saying. Buy to the A yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the senior team will have probably Freddie Stewart at fifteen. Yeah, maybe maybe Freeman on on the wing. There'll be some new names in this squad for mm. sure. And and this is a very rambling answer to your first question, but some form will be rewarded because
2: it has to be. That's one of the interesting there things. to the balance, though, isn't it? Because it's everyone will always want to see the. Exciting, maybe sometimes younger, inform players play, but there will also be a big pressure for England to win because once again they cannot have another Six Nations where no, can't have they're a two finishing five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's how he balances that. I think, and, really and as we've said,
3: the fixtures are lined up for them. They have been yeah. in previous years, and they keep losing to Scotland, which ruins the momentum thing. But <laughs> Italy away first, then straight into Wales, who Wales at home. Like Cardiff got smashed by Quinns on the weekend, and the other teams in the URC are not that hot, are they? But it's different when they get the Welsh shirt on. But I think the massive challenge for England, whoever they pick, is finding that character, that identity that Jamie George was talking about, showing more of themselves, bringing people with them, maybe someone like a Barbary who can get twicken them off their feet and stuff. They need that. They really do.
2: Well, Time's online on Wednesday. Alex and Will will be right across the squad announcement in the paper on Thursday. Let's finish this week's episode, God or Goddess of the Week, as we always do. I don't mind kicking us off. Tom Pearson was who... I'm going for here. A guy who had a huge amount of plaudits when he was at London Irish to the point that people were clamouring for him to be part of England squads himself. Moved to Northampton. Had a reasonable start to the season then maybe amongst a lot of the names that are getting mentioned in that team at the moment, a bit quieter. And I know Bayon rested, rotated. They didn't put up much for a fight but I thought he was excellent. In that game on Friday, ball carrying really good. Exactly the sort of performance I'd have thought he could do with. Ahead of Steve Borthwick naming his yep. squad, in terms of what he has the potential to bring to the team. So I was going. To, I'm going for Tom Pearson. Will Alex? He wants to go.
4: Uh,
2: Alfie Barbary for me. Yeah. I mean,
4: just having seen him uh, in action on Sunday, uh, and we've we've spoken a lot about about his qualities and. It's just character. I just like his character. I like his approach to the game, um, and I think he could get England fans really excited because you know he's just going to give. He doesn't take life too seriously, but he when he's but he's uber competitive, and, and I like that combination.
3: Mine. I was having a think. This isn't the best player of the weekend. This isn't the the best performance of the weekend. But just for a moment, that actually didn't matter at all. But he was he lived all dreams of. Second rows who think they're a centre.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: you're looking at one right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lewis Pearson with the with the left-footed kick to the wing to set up a try for Zach Wimbush, who's a, who's another Uni boy. It savagely got taken back, chalked off, but. I just love the like cheeky smile on his face. <laughs> that is that is the the love dream that. scenario for any any lumbering oaf in the in the forwards to do something like that. So he can be my slightly like hipster God of Tadger the week. Moment. Yes, yes, <laughs> Tadja, the, the Portugal hooker. Yeah. So, yeah, Lewis Pearson, that was, uh, I loved that.
2: Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, well, this has been the Rock from the Times and the Sunday Times. We'll leave it there, another really packed episode, but make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you get your pods from. Leave us a review as well. Alex, Will, appreciate both of you joining us once again. I'll see you both tonight for the red carpet ab- event for the Six Nations netflix documentary when actually next week on the pod oh let's tease it we don't we won't say who it is but we've got a special guest coming next week special guest to do with that netflix documentary so
3: i think that's going to be really interesting i think people should listen to that that's good but important man is going to be interesting to talk to so there you go teased you next week come and listen well there you go have a great week
2: we'll be back with you next monday